Take your Bibles with me, Judges chapter 16. A little bit of review as we dig into Judges 16. We're in the middle of the story of Samson. This is the last, uh, this is the last chapter with Samson in it. I think Samson's effect is going to continue on and on for the next couple of chapters, but this is the last story, last chapter about Samson. Uh, last week, there's a couple of things that came up that people asked me about, so uh, discussion group and other things. So I'm just going to kind of refer back to those. One is not necessarily super relevant to this story this morning. One, I think, is going to maybe help a little bit. Um, we'll see. Anyway, last week we talked about how Samson got real mad. He went and caught 300 foxes, burned down the, their whole, their whole uh, uh, vineyards and groves and grain fields and all those things, right? Uh, so, so multiple people asked me, like, hey, you just read that he caught 300 foxes and, like, blew right over that. Like, what in the world? Like, how did that happen? Like, what? Is, okay, this is, I don't know. The, the author of the Judges doesn't give us a whole lot of context. He doesn't tell us how he did it, yada, yada, yada. But I, this is where I kind of fall on it. Uh, chapter 15, chapter 14, Samson goes to Ashkelon to till, kill those 30 men. Right? We said that was most likely a nine-hour hike. Uh, again, maybe he was mad, maybe he did it faster than that, but like it took a lot of time. His anger burned for, for quite a while to get down there, to do his thing, and to come back. I think the 300 foxes from last week is the same picture. Like you're being so controlled by your anger. Like, like a, uh, I don't want to say normal, but I can't think of a better word. A normal person, someone who's not so controlled by their anger, at some point, be like, hey, I caught 10, I caught 20, like what in the world am I doing? Like, like what is going on? Like, and, and yet he's to 300 and burns down their whole field. And it's just such revenge and anger. So I don't think that that happened in an afternoon. Like that's how the story kind of reads in Judges. Like he caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together, burned down everything. Like I don't think that happened all in one afternoon. Maybe it did. Author doesn't tell us. I think this, the story is more like, hey, this took a while and his ang- he was angry for a long time. Okay. Uh, then there's a question from the end of uh, 15. Verse 20, he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Okay, a couple of things about this phrase, and, this, and then we're going to dive into to chapter 16. What does it mean that he judged Israel 20 years? Because so far it hasn't seemed like he's done very much. I mean, he's done a lot, but he hasn't done any much good. Uh, he has not following God. He's not doing these things. So what does it mean that he judged Israel? Like, how does that all play together? Okay, so the best answer that I, I could find this past week was more this picture that, that the Philistines ruling over Israel and Samson was able to kind of keep them at bay, keep them in their part of the world. He didn't chase them out of the promised land. He didn't get rid of them. He didn't conquer them. He didn't do any of those things. But maybe for 20 years or so, he kept the Philistines kind of from bothering Israel too much. Okay, but here's, here's part of a struggle, and, and this morning there's going to be a lot of struggle, there's going to be a lot of wrestling, there's a lot of information that the author of Judges tells us, but he doesn't really tell us. He just says it, and, and it's almost like we're supposed to figure out what all this means, and so I'm going to say, I'm going to have an interpretation today, there's at least, a, there's, there's multiple that we could go down. Okay, so that's why I love discussion group, because we get to talk about all this. And, and there's going to be what I say today, like I agree with because I'm saying it, and yet somebody in discussion group is going to have the complete opposite view, and I'm going to be like, yeah, I kind of agree with that too. Because we don't, we don't have all the details, okay? But here's what part of the struggle, part of the wrestling is. In verse 20 of chapter 15, so we judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. When we see that phrase every other time in the book of Judges, what is it? It's at the person's death when they're done judging. Okay, so now we go to chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza. Wait, wait, wait. Verse 20 of chapter 15 makes us feel like he's no longer a judge. Like his, 
his judgment has now been complete. Okay, so here's two different interpretations. I don't think either really make that big of a deal, though I'm going to prefer one over the other. Uh, some people say that, that verse 20 was like, Samson retired. And they think the number should have been 40, but he stopped short, and he, he only judged for 20, and they have this whole theory behind it. And so they think this is Samson in his retirement years, chapter 16. Okay, other people say, hey, he judged for 20 years, and now chapter 16 is saying, and here's how this story ends. Here's the, here's the last story of his 20 years. Okay, that's how I'm going to interpret it. I'm interpreting it that he is still a judge. I'm interpreting it that this is the end of his 20 years, because we're going to see the same phrase at the end of chapter 16. Okay? And again, I don't know if it makes too big of a deal, but it's just one of those things. Like the, the author of Judges doesn't give us every minute detail. And so it's okay to struggle. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to think through these things. Like, like if you think of the story of Samson differently than you used to, like I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. Right? I'm saying like let's wrestle with it. Okay? We're going to treat verse, uh, chapter 16 like we treated last week. I'm just going to read a couple words at a time. We'll talk about what we just read and we'll work our way through that. Okay? Uh, this is most likely the most common story in the book of Judges. So for those of you who are like, man, I know nothing about judges, today will probably sound at least somewhat familiar. So verse 1, now Samson went to Gaza. Let's just pause there. Gaza is where? We talked about Timnah, where he got married, was north central in the land of the Philistines. He goes down to Ashkelon, which is south of that and on the coast, nine hours away. Like, like, so he, he makes people mad in Timnah. He's now making people, people mad in Ashkelon. Now he's in Gaza, which is even further south down the coast, and, and he's going to make even more people mad. And so the picture of the cities and the places that, that Samson is going is the picture of like all of the, the land of the Philistines. Like everybody in the land of Philistines is getting mad at Samson. Okay, not only that, but in this time, there was five major cities and in the under Philistine control, whatever you want to say, like they're, they're capitals, but they're not capitals because there's five of them. Uh, like it's seemingly that he's going to go hit all five, though the, the text doesn't have him uh, go to all five of these. But it almost seems like that Gaza would be one of these places. Okay, so verse one, he goes to Gaza and he, and he saw a harlot there and he went into her. Okay, another struggle. Here's, here's a Nazarite. Here's someone who's supposed to be in Israel. Here's someone like, we have this birth story. God chose him from before he was born. And so verse 1 sounds a little bit odd to us because it's like, no, Samson, you shouldn't be doing this. Okay, so here's the wrestle. And again, I, I, I have, I'm going to land somewhere, uh, but there's good smart men who would say what? They say, does this not sound like the story of Rahab and the spies? Like when you want to go conquer a city and you want to sneak in and you want to be hid by somebody, name a better person to hide you. Someone whose job is literally to do things in secret. Right? So, so some people would say, hey, here's Samson who's going to sneak into Gaza, and this is how he's going to do it, just like the spies did it back with Ahab. Okay? That's one interpretation. The author doesn't tell us. Most Bible translations are going to make it, or at least hint at it, that that is not why he went in with the harlot in verse 1. That he went in for why everyone else would go in. Okay? And that's where I would land. Like the story of Samson has been one of obeying God's law and doing what God wants. The story of Samson has been him doing his own thing. So I think he goes into Harlot. Verse 2, when, he, when it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, let us wait until the morning light, that then we will kill him. I don't know why they wanted to wait. Okay. Never, didn't find anybody that seemed to have a good thought on that, but they wanted to wait till the morning. Verse 3, Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite of Hebron. 
Okay, what is, what is this? There's, there's a significance here, right? What's the significance? In the story of Samson and, and the Philistines, what we've seen over and over again is the Philistines think they've won, and then Samson makes them a laughingstock. Right? Like Samson just, re- like, like, oh, you thought you did so good with that? And then all of a sudden, Samson just, like, ruins you Philistines all over again. Okay, here the Philistines think, hey, we know where he's at. We got him surrounded. Like, like look how easy this is going to be. And what does he do? He goes to the city gates. He pulls them out, which would be hundreds and hundreds of pounds, if not a thousand pounds. And pulls out these gates, and he carries them to the highest mountain in the region, which is in Israel. 30 miles away is what most people would say. So he carries them 30 miles, puts them on top of this mountain. Why? So that everyone can see in the area what Samson has done to Gaza. And it's this, it's like, I don't know how else to say this. It's this flex from Samson saying, I still own you. Like your gate is your protection. Your gate is where a lot of business would happen in your economy. Like Samson's like, I just pretty much decimated, not really, but like a picture, a symbol of like destroying your city by removing your gates and putting them on top of a mountain. So again, it's like, hey, Philistines think they got it. Hey, we think we got Samson surrounded. Hey, here's our plan. We're finally going to get rid of Samson. After 20 years, we're finally going to do it. And Samson, in one move at midnight, carries hundreds of pounds up a mountain. And is like, hey, yeah, you're wrong. Okay, so, so again, this is just the irony in the story that we've seen with, with Samson and the Philistines. But then we get to verse 4. In verse 4, we're gonna, it's going to change, and, and we'll see that change. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Okay, something happens in verse 4 that we haven't happened the entire story of Samson. We get the name of another person. We get a name of a woman, specifically. Right? Manoah's mom, or Manoah's wife, Samson's mom. Uh, the woman that he marries, the Timnite. Like, we don't know her name. Like, over and over, we're not getting names. Okay, all of a sudden, verse 4, is like, hey, here's a name. Okay, that's significant. That's different. That's different than everything else we've seen in the story. So the question then is what? What does the name Delilah mean? Like, we would think. We haven't gotten names before. Maybe we should know what this name means. Before I tell you her name, let's remind ourselves of what Samson means. Samson in Hebrew is Shimshon. It means of the light or just light. Uh, I think little light would also be another way of saying it. So kind of like you should be reflecting a larger light. You're the little light, however you want to word that. Okay, so here's Samson, whose light, Delilah, means of the darkness, or of the night, which we would then think, what? Darkness. So in the story of Samson, here's the Philistines, and here's Samson. They're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and now we get to verse 4, and it's like, okay, we have someone who's named, and this person is dark, of the night. What is, what is the story just gearing up for? It's gearing up for, for this idea of light versus darkness. And so who's going to win the story? Like, how is this going to unfold? And so what we're going to see in the next few verses that we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about is we see this battle, this back and forth between the light and the darkness. Okay, I think if we're the original, like if you were just reading through the book of Judges for the first time and and you knew the Hebrew and you kind of understood a lot of these things that were going on, you knew what the word Delilah meant, all those things. I feel like if you were reading the story for the first time, you'd be like, Samson, run. Like, Samson, what are you, Samson, this is not, like, we've blown it too many times, get out of there, and, and yet, we kind of know, you know, the story of Samson, we know where this is going to go. So here we go, verse 5. The Lord's, I'm going to pause right there, there's five of them, this is going back to Joshua, I think 13, uh, we know, learned there's five lords in, uh, of the Philistines. Okay, so we're going to assume the same thing here in Judges 16. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, 
entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him then we will each give you 1100 pieces of silver okay it most likely wasn't pieces it was probably more like a weight and so to do 1100 this whatever weight it would have been uh pieces of silver from five different lords would be 5500 the math from 10 years ago from the guy who did the math that i read says 10 years ago that's 16 million dollars so like here's five lords Samson has wreaked havoc through your land to the point that it's like after 20 years, here's $16 million just to get rid of this problem. Like we just, we just don't want him anymore. Right? So we read the story of Samson. It's like, hey, you know, Bible character, like uh, as a kid, like Samson's strong and all that. Like, no, like there's like hatred. Like, like there's like all the money I feel like you could muster to say, hey, get rid of this problem we have. Okay, so what does Delilah do? Verse 6. I do not think that verse 6 is a direct quote of Delilah. Maybe it was. If it was, I think she's not very smart, and I think Samson's even less smart. But here it is, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Like, is that really how Delilah went in? Like, you, you convinced him with like, Hey, I want to know how I can beat you up and tie you up. Like, that's what got you? Like, I'm assuming this is more of her intent and not exactly what she said, but maybe it was. Maybe that's a direct quote. I don't know. Verse 7, Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in, in, in a room, and she said to them, um, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a, strong, uh, as a string of toe snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. So Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have uh, deceived me and told me lies. Now please tell me how, how you may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes, which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, for the men were lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the, into the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. Okay, so here's, here's darkness. Here's light. Here's the back and forth that we see. And it's like, who's going to win? What's, and, and so right now, it's Delilah's trying her hardest. Uh, Samson, for whatever reason, just, you know, he does, he does the lies. He doesn't tell the truth. And so here's this back and forth, verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not Samson. Like, okay, you can't just leave. Like, you can't, like, you, at what point are like, hey, I'm annoyed to death by you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to walk away. Like, you walked away from your previous wife and you went and killed 30 men. And then you went home and cried to mom and dad about it. Like, like, why is, anyway, that's not in the text, right? I wish we, I wish it was there. Verse 17. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me. I will become weak and be like any other man. Okay, here's, here's the struggle. Here's, here's a wrestle. He's broken his Nazarite vow 
Uh, don't touch a dead body. He's done that multiple times. Uh, the, the carcass, a lion, a jawbone of a donkey. He killed humans. Like, okay, he's broken that. Uh, the don't go near the vineyard, don't drink wine, don't eat a grape even was part of all that. He, he seemingly has done that. He threw a big party. He walked into the vineyard. Like we've seen that already. Like, okay, you've done that. So, so there's a lot of guys who would say the hair is what? It's the third of the main Nazarite vows. It's the third one that he's actually kept. The only one he's actually kept of the three. And so I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if he never had wine, he never walked into the vineyard, he never ate the grape, if, but he did touch dead bodies, and then he shaved his head if, if he would be laying here and telling Delilah, hey, it's, it's actually the fact that I've never had alcohol or wine. Or like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the order. Like, it's because it's all three. I don't know if there's really significance of why it's tied to his hair. I don't know if, if he's just saying this is what I truly believe, and I, I don't know. Like, it seems weird to us, to me, that... You haven't, you haven't really done anything good. You haven't really done anything that would look like a Nazarite. And yet you claim to be one from your mother's womb. But it's like, but you haven't lived that way. I mean, the only thing that makes you look even remotely like a Nazarite in your whole life so far is the fact that you haven't shaved your head. So somehow it, it gets all tied together. Okay, so, but again, I, how does that work? Perfect? I don't know. I don't know how that technically would all fit together, but that's what he says to Delilah. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Like, they're so confident that this is it. Like, here's, here's the millions of dollars. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his, of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his, and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. Okay, we're going to pause here for a second. This phrase, he did not know the Lord has departed from him. Okay, when we think about this story, the story of Judges is what? It's, it's, a, it's a historical story. Like, meaning, like, this is the history of Israel. Okay, so did this story really happen? Yes, I believe the story of Samson really happened. But I also believe that it wasn't written necessarily for us. It was written for Israel to look back on their own history. Okay, so there are multiple commentators who would, who would make this argument, and then I'm just going to kind of follow this argument a little bit further than maybe they took it. But they feel like the story of Samson is written in, in your history book, Israel, so that you would learn from him and not repeat his actions. So Israel, this is part of your story because it's your history, but it's also part of your story because don't be like him as a people. Okay? And so far in the book of Judges, you've been a lot like Samson, and so you've kind of failed. But if you think about Samson, we have his birth story, and we have really good parents, seemingly really good parents with Manoah and his wife. Okay? We have the Lord calling him out before he was even born. That this is going to be the, the next judge is the one I'm going to use. He's a Nazarite. He's set apart in that way. Like he has unbelievable strength. Like there's all this good that is going for Samson in his life. And yet we read verse 20 and says what? That the Lord departed from him. And so there's a, a, a thought, and we're just going to continue this thought a little bit further. But there's a thought that says what? Israel, this is you. 
You've been chosen by God. You've been set apart. You've had Abraham and Isaac and all these forefathers who, who trusted God. And yes, they failed at certain times, but like, look at these great men of faith. And yet you think that somehow because of your parents or because God chose your people or because of whatever, that God will never, ever, ever depart from you. And so here's this warning, not just to, like, not just this life of Samson, but to you, Israel. Like if you continue down the road of Samson, which is dis- disobedience, lack of, uh, of caring about God's law, lack of doing God's law, lack of any of the things about God's holiness and his name and his character, like you continue down that road and marrying, marrying foreigners and worshiping their gods and doing the things that you're doing, there's going to come a day when God's going to depart from you. Not forever, not for the rest of eternity, but Israel, there comes a day when he removes himself from you and you are what? You are taken to captivity. And so what is the rest of the story, well, the next section of the story of Samson? Some commentators think this is a story of those, not just Samson, but of those who've said no to God long enough. Like you, you are then becoming a slave of someone else. Is that not the story of the prophets that is going to come after the book of Judges? Like, is this not Babylon and others who would take him into captivity? And it seems like, though God does not leave his people, it seems like God has departed from Israel. And so here's this picture of, like, you can, you can do what you want for a season. But even Samson, who had all these good things going for him, God said, hey, I'm going to remove my presence from you. You, Israel, who seem to have all these good things going for you, you can continue disobedience for a season. But there comes a point when God says, I'm going to remove my presence, my grace, my help, whatever, from you. Okay, so what do we see then? We see verse 20, the Lord has departed from him. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Okay, this is another phrase that I wish we had a little bit more detail on. Not detail, I don't want to know more about how they gouged out eyes. Uh, A little bit more insight on Okay, uh, there are a couple guys who land on you, Samson. You were spiritually blind for all these chapters, three chapters that we've talked to you about. Like you were spiritually blind, and now you're physically blind, and they make some sort of connection from spiritual blindness to physical blindness. Uh, some people take it even further, and uh, I didn't necessarily love that. Other people just land on the fact that this is what you would do if you conquered a military hero who you were afraid that would just come back and kill you. What would you do? You'd gouge out his eyes and make him blind. It's going to make it a lot harder for him to destroy your country anymore. So, so some people just say, hey, this is historical. This is where it's at. Other people think it's included because there's some sort of spiritual uh, meaning here. I'm not quite sure where to land, but we can wrestle with that in discussion group. We can talk through that. But what does he do? He's blind. Uh, they, they brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. That word grinder, I mean, the, the idea there is what? That you you would grind up the, the, the wheat, the grain. The job that we would give a hundred years ago to a donkey. The job in that day that was given to a prisoner or, or a captive. You have become a slave. God departs from you, verse 20. Here's blindness. Here's this role of a slave. Verse 22. We're going to come back to verse 22. I'll read it. We're going to come back to it. Uh, again, it, it's going to cause some wrestle, some struggle. The hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. 
come back to that. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and rejoiced for they said. Let's, oh, let's pause just for a moment. Dagon. Who's Dagon? Dagon looks like a fish, uh, but he actually isn't the god over the sea. He's actually the god over their agriculture. And I think he was actually grain specifically. And so here's Samson, who last chapter destroyed all the grain. Right? Like, hey, he just, he just ruined your agriculture in chapter 16, and potentially that was many, many years ago, but yet there's still this grudge, and now they get to go worship their god of grain and be like, hey, remember that time Samson did this? Like, here's our god. He's bigger than you. Like, there's this whole false god versus the real god versus Samson. Like, there's this whole battle of that world going on. Anyway, what do they say? They, they have this little song. Remember Samson had a song last week about he piled them up in heaps. Here's, here's their song about, uh, about Samson. Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands. And here's how they describe Samson. Even the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. Now, there's some of you in this room that might like war movies or maybe you like some historical, I don't know, gladiator type of thing, right? And, and you feel like, man... To be known as the guy who is the destroyer of the enemy's country and who, sl- who had slain many of them, you're like, yeah, that's a man. Like, man, like, like what, a, what, a, what a thing to write on your tombstone, right? Like, what a, what a warrior. And yet you go back to the Nazarite vow and it's like, you weren't supposed to kill. Like, like Samson, this was not supposed to be you. Like, God was going to use you, and he was going to use you in a different way than you chose to, like, God gave you gifts, and you use those gifts for your own glory and your own selfish ambition and your own thing. Like, this is not how the man who was supposed to be a Nazarite was supposed to be known. And yet they look at this and like, hey, here's this guy who destroyed most of our country and killed many of us. Now we have him with his eyes gouged out, chains grinding our mill. Like, look at our God, look at Dagon. And it's like, Samson, this was not who God called you to be. Verse 21. And so it happened when in high spirits they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them. Uh, the, the idea that most commentators are going to put at is that you being blind, Samson being blind, they would have him walk back and forth and they would throw objects in front of him to see who could make him trip. Like, like it would be ridicule and mocking and everything that Samson has done to you for the past 20 years. Like, like we're going to get even in this moment. And so that's the picture. And what does he say? Uh, it says, they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding, uh, holding his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there, and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, okay, here's his second prayer. We said his first prayer, like it started off sounding somewhat good. Thank you, God, for delivering us or the strength that you gave me or whatever. He said that after he uh, won a little battle there. But then he was like totally turned. It's a kind, kind of the selfish, woe is me, God, why don't you take care of me? I'm thirsty. Okay, so that was his first prayer. Now we get a second prayer. And the thought is, is the second prayer any less selfish? Is the second prayer any better than we thought the first prayer was? And we get to this second prayer and he says, oh, Lord God. Please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. Okay, so, so at some level, again, it sounds like the first prayer. He, he gives God credit for his strength. And so at some level, we're like, yeah, Samson, like, good. Good start of the prayer. Like, you're recognizing God. Uh, you haven't seemed to recognize God much in your life. You're recognizing God in this prayer. Like, how, how wonderful. And then he says what? Strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once, at once be avenged of the Philistines 
for my two eyes. I mean, you go to Psalms, you go to the prayer of David in different places. It's like, I'm going to pray that you would destroy the enemy for your namesake, for your glory, for your honor, for your people, for your covenant. Like over and over again, it's like, I want, I want God to do something because this is what he promised to do. I want God to do something because of his name. I want God to do something because of his glory. And Samson stands here and says, God, I want you to do this because I want my revenge tour to continue. So what do we see? I think, I think we see the same prayer we saw earlier. A prayer of selfishness, a prayer of me, a prayer of God, I need you to do this for my glory, for my, my whatever, arrogance and selfishness. Verse 29, Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might, so the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he killed in his life. And again, we saw this trend last last week. We start with one lion, we go to 30 men, we go to 300 foxes, we go to an unknown number of men, we went to 300 men, now we're 3,000 people. Like the story of Samson isn't that he somehow gets it and there's less destruction in the story of Samson that he continues his revenge, he continues his anger, and there's more destruction, and there's more death, and there's more hatred, and there's more of all this stuff. Like that trend continues. Verse 31, then his brother and his father's uh, household came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal and the, and the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus he had judged Israel 20 years. Okay, but here's, here's the last... I mean, there's a lot of struggle, I feel like. Here's the last struggle. Here's the last wrestling. And again, I don't know. Like, like I don't know. But the question is, did God answer Samson's prayer? And there's a lot of people who say, oh, for sure. Like, how else did he get his strength back? And yet, there's still a verse that, that just doesn't really let me say that God did it. And the verse that says God left him, could he have come back? Yeah, but that's not included that it says that he came back. And then why do we get verse 22 that his hair begins to grow back? And it's seemingly, if it is tied to his hair, which he tells Delilah, and he loses, like, at the moment, like, it seems to me, this is just a side note, but it seems like if I was the Philistines, I would have a daily ritual where we shave Samson's hair in the morning. Right? Like, if this is really what it is, so, so at some level, I feel like if it is tied to his hair, how dumb are you, Philistines? Which has kind of been the whole point of the book of, of, of the story of Samson. As God's enemies have been made a laughingstock, and we made that quote from Dale Davis last week. Like, like, God's enemies are just laughed at, and I feel like, Philistines, like, you didn't notice his hair growing back? Is that what we're supposed to land on? Are we supposed to land on that God heard a selfish prayer and used it anyway and said, here, Samson, here's your strength back? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily know what to do with the story of Samson, but I do want to say this. I have a quote from Brad Gray, and I really appreciate his book. It's called Make Your Mark. It's only mostly 99.9% about the, the story of Samson. I would highly encourage you, if you enjoy Judges, if you enjoyed Samson, go get the book. You can borrow mine. Uh, I have a quote from, from Brad Gray. His quote is taking the end of the story of Samson and it's finding some sort of silver lining. There's part of me that loves what he says, and there's another part of me that's like, I don't, I don't know if I should share the quote. Because I feel like in the story of Judges and the story of Samson, it's not a happy ending. Like Samson, I don't think this is how your life was supposed to end up. 
And so we talked about this last week in discuss group. Like, here's the will of God, and God accomplishes well whether Samson obeys or not, but Samson missed out on relationship. Samson missed, with God. Like, he missed out on a life that God was going to call him to. He missed out on relationship with God. He missed out on so many things that God was going to spiritually bless him with because he chose to do his own thing and not what God wanted him to do. And so, yes, God's will was still accomplished. I don't doubt that. But I do wonder how much Samson's life was different because throughout the story of Samson, he doesn't do what God would have him to do. And so I feel like as we end the story of Samson, and I told you at the beginning, his story is not really done because I think next week is going to be more tied into Samson than maybe we realize. But what do, we, what do we do at the end of verse 16 is I almost feel like we should sit and feel the weight of it. Like we don't read the story of Samson and just walk out the doors celebrating that, that 3,000 people were killed and Samson was a prisoner. Like That's not worth celebrating. And so I feel like there's some level where I just want us to, to recognize like the failure of Samson. God still used him. Yes, we can do that. But some sort of the weight of where the people of, of God are. Like the sin and how, how horrible. Like this is a judge chosen at his birth. Like this is his story. And, and then at some level to recognize like, hey, our story sometimes isn't that different than Samson. I mean, our prayers aren't necessarily that different than Samson. God, you are so good. Give me everything I want. Like, like God, God, I would worship you even more if you would do this for me. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, we got selfish prayers. We have arrogance. We have selfishness. We, we don't do what God tells us to do all the time. Like, so our story is not that different than Samson. And we look at the story of Samson, it's like, this wasn't good. And so at some level, I just want us to be able to sit here and like recognize and, and feel that. But then at the same level, I am a Westerner who likes the silver lining. It doesn't want it just to leave. Like, hey, thanks for coming to church today. We're all depressed now. Go enjoy a bunch of our baby and like have fun in France for a second. Like, I'm not sure I can do that. So, so just understand the weight. I don't want to jump to the quote too quick. That's all I'm saying. Okay, here's the quote. <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is where we've been for, for weeks, right? The first, first mention at Samson was, hey, he's in Hebrews 11. And, and so this might not answer our Hebrews 11 topic during discussion group, uh, but maybe it at least helps. And that's not why I have the quote. This is why I believe Samson shows up in Hebrews 11. Not because he was someone great, but because he was utilized by someone great. That's the point of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is not about the greatness of humanity. It's about the goodness and grace of God to use broken and faulty people to accomplish his purposes, sometimes in collaboration with their efforts and sometimes in spite of their efforts. The fact that Samson shows up in Hebrews 11 is hopeful. It's hopeful because God is willing to use someone like Samson. Then God is willing to use someone like me and someone like you with all our faults and failures. So take heart. Don't get discouraged. Whatever struggles you have, whether it's shrugging off the spirit, harboring unforgiveness, engaging in revenge, exhibiting pride, selfishness, anger, lust, or feelings of worthlessness, or dealing with something else, know that God wants you. Can we just, can we just pause for a moment? Like, like, God wants you. Like, throughout my life, there's more to the quote, we'll get to it in a second. Throughout my life, I felt like God was always disappointed with me. Because I felt like God thought I was a really good person and then he found out after I got saved that I wasn't. Okay, can we just recognize like what he says up here on the screen of shrugging off the spirit and harboring unforgiveness and revenge and pride and selfishness and anger and lust and feelings of worth. Like all of these things God already knew about before Jesus died on the cross. 
right? Like all these things God already knew about before he even invited you to be part of his kingdom and part of his family. And so like this idea of like God wants you, like man, I just, just want us to recognize that. That there's a creator God of the universe who wants a relationship with you and he wanted a relationship with Samson, though it doesn't seem like he had one because of Samson, not because of God. If you are convicted or confronted with the things in reading of this book, that's his book, Make Your Mark, know that God did that in love. He convicted and confronted you in love. He loves you and he wants to help you get things right because God knows the healthier you are, the more joy you will have and the more effective you will be in executing the work he's tasked you to do. And so what do we do with Samson? There's the weight of, of his his seemingly failure, there's the God who used his failure for his own glory. And so, I guess I put this back up there. This last part of executing the work he's tasked you to do. Like, may that be our focus? Like, God, you've called us to do something. You've called us to go build your kingdom. You've called us to be people. He called Israel to be a kingdom of priests, that you would go forth and show forth the God, the creator God, the Genesis 1 God of the Bible. You would show that God to the other nations and people groups around you. Like, that is why you are called a kingdom of priests and, and calls us to go make disciples of all nations. Like, may we uh, be, have this relationship with God. May we be convicted by his spirit and change and work and allow him to do work and, and all those things so that we may go out there and execute the work that he's taxed us to do. Like, may that be true of us as individuals and may that be true of us as a church. Like, may we look at that church and look at them go out and make disciples. Look at this church go out and build the kingdom. Look at this church that's doing the work that God has made, called for them to go out and do. Let's pray uh, a little break in the discussion group to come. Father, thank you. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this story. God, we, uh, we don't know. I, I, such, a, such a rustling of, of what to do with Samson. But God, we, behind the story of Samson, there's a God who's in control, and there's a God who's sovereign, and there's a God who wants to use broken people for his glory. And so God, at some level, I want us to recognize that. At some level, I want us to rejoice in that. At some level, I want, to, I want us to recognize that that's each of us. Like, like you aren't just after the Samsons who, who have been chosen and who are strong and who, who are somehow mighty. Or, like you're after those who are broken and weak. You're after those who are, who are struggling. And you want a relationship with us. Father, you've given us a, a task. You've given us um, some orders, as it were, for us to do as a church, to go out and make disciples, to build your kingdom. God, I pray that you help us to do it. I pray that we would obey you. I pray we'd obey your word. I pray that as a church, we would follow your spirit as he leads. Pray for a discussion group to come. I pray for wisdom, that we would uh, grow even more as we talk through this text together. In your son's name we pray.